Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, my fellow Believers, and welcome back to the Combat Bets podcast on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron. I'd like to start off this week's episode by recapping the recent fight night on Valentine's Day from the Honda Center in Anaheim, California. In the co-main event, we had a guy that really needed some redemption in Jorge Linares taking on Carlos Morales. And Linares got the job done, getting a fourth round knockout. And during the course of this fight, Linares really did a great job of counterpunching and showing why he had the faster hands and the faster feet in the ring. And uh, before the fourth round knockout, Linares actually did also score a third round knockdown when he did land a beautiful short right on the face of Morales that put him down. And this was just a precursor to the fourth round knockout, which was also a short right that Linares landed. And he set that up with a beautiful left hook to the body, followed up by a short right to the face. And Morales just could not take any more damage from the smaller fighter. And it quickly ended after four rounds. And with that great performance, Linares has possibly once again set himself up for big fights in the future. And let me get to the main event because it does uh, relate to Linares' future and his next potential opponent. In the main event, we had Ryan Garcia a kid that's just 21 years old, really has a bright future in boxing, taking on Francisco Fonseca. And do not discount Fonseca. He's been in the ring with a lot of quality opponents, and his only career losses are to Ryan Garcia, Tevin Farmer, and Gervonta Davis. All these fighters are very quality fighters, and both Farmer and Gervonta Davis could be future opponents for King Rai, Ryan Garcia. And once again, Garcia showed why he is one of the brightest prospects in the 135-pound division. And Ryan Garcia is absolutely huge for that division. Against most opponents that he enters the ring against, he's usually the bigger fighter. He stands at 5 feet 10 with a 70-inch reach. And then you look at the measurables for his opponent, Francisco Fonseca, who stands at... Five foot seven and a half with this 69 and a half inch reach. And looking at the fight, there was a chance that this was going to be a step up in competition for Ryan Garcia, as Francisco Fonseca is a very quality opponent. But Garcia quickly dispelled that notion with a beautiful first round left hook knockout. In the post fight interview, Ryan Garcia called it a perfect left hook. And he was saying he was watching videos of the legendary Sugar Ray Robinson in preparation for this fight. And he absolutely landed a devastating left hook that put Fonseca down. And he could not recover in time to continue to fight. And it was quickly over uh, only a few minutes into the first round. And Garcia really has shown that he is ready for the big fights even though he's only 21. And in his post-fight interview, he actually laid out the next opponents that he would like to fight. And he started out, he's saying he would like to fight 
Jorge Linares next, and that fight could very well happen in Staples Center as Oscar De La Hoya, Garcia's promoter, has reserved Staples Center for a, a fight later on. And perhaps Linares and Ryan Garcia will fight in the main event on that card. And in that matchup, I still do like Ryan Garcia to take out Linares. Although Linares is a better better fighter than Fonseca, I think that Ryan Garcia's height advantage and also his devastating power that he's shown already early on in his career might be too much for Linares to handle. And although Linares did beat Luke Campbell by decision, a similarly taller, tall fighter like Ryan Garcia, Luke Campbell does not have the power of Ryan Garcia, and he doesn't have the ring fundamentals or the acumen that Garcia is showing. In post-fight, Garcia did not only call out Jorge Linares, he also said he wanted to fight Luke Campbell, Gervonta Davis, and Devin Haney. All those fights would be great fights, and it would really put Ryan Garcia up to the test. And also, Ryan Garcia has a huge Instagram following, making him popular both inside the ring and outside. But he sure is backing up all that hype with some great knockouts, some great early knockouts against quality opponents. And after beating Fonseca so handedly, I can't really make a comparison to anyone else that is doing the thing so early on in their career that Ryan Garcia has been doing and doing so emphatically. He is already a star and with Oscar De La Hoya promoting him and hopefully setting up more quality fights, DeZan got a great signing and with both Canelo Alvarez and Ryan Garcia on their network. It really is bringing in more Mexican fans, as Ryan Garcia is Mexican-American, although he does not speak Spanish. And looking at Ryan Garcia's professional record, he is undefeated with 20 wins, and 17 of those wins have come by knockout. But interestingly enough, one of those wins came by majority decision against Carlos Morales, the same fighter that fought Jorge Linares in the main event, but got knocked out in the fourth round. So when you look at that, Linares performed better against Morales than when Ryan Garcia fought him. And I expect the next next fight for both Garcia and Linares to be against each other. And like I said previously, I still like Ryan Garcia in that fight and possibly by knockout just because I think his power for that division and his size is often so much bigger than the opponents that he gets in the ring with. And in due time, I think that Garcia could move up in weight, but for now, he is a beast for the 135-pound division. You usually don't see fighters with that size and that reach with the ability to also make the weight. And it seems like Ryan Garcia has no problem making the weight, and He's going to grow into his body still maturing, only 21. So expect Garcia to fight Linares and then maybe Luke Campbell or Gervonta Davis after that. Ryan Garcia is really going to be a fighter to watch in 2020. And I expect him to put on some more great performances. 
and he each fight he seems to get better even though it seems like each time he fights we don't really get to see a lot of him because he ends the fight so early with these devastating knockouts but despite that I still think he improved from the last time I saw him he looked quicker he looked like he got his timing down very early against Fonseca and he said in the post fight that he hit Fonseca with a few lefts early on in the fight just to see if he could get that shot in and once he realized that he could he landed it with a devastating effectiveness and is really one of the biggest stars in all of boxing and at only 21 Ryan Garcia could soon become the king of the 135 pound division. Moving on from that fight card and on to some more boxing I'd like to recap the fight between Caleb Plant and Vincent Fugubens, and it took Plant 10 rounds to get Fugubens out of there as he stopped him within an accumulation of punches, leaving the referee no choice but to step in and stop the fight as Caleb Plant retained his IBF super middleweight title. And against a fighter like Fugubens, a German fighter that's known for his knockouts, but maybe not the highest skill level, you really have to be focused because Fugubens knows that his strategy is get hit a few times to land a few punches. And Caleb Plant did a marvelous job of not really getting hit. And this was seen in the CompuBox statistics following the fight in which Caleb Plant landed 202 of 612 punches for a 33% connect rate, while Fugubens only connected on 47 of 265 punches thrown, only 18% connect rate. To only get 47 punches landed on you in 10 rounds is absolutely astounding. And the fact that Caleb Plant did it against a guy that loves to come forward and put the pressure on you makes this performance even more impressive. And Fugubuns even backed up this statement by saying in the post-fight interview that he really didn't have much power at the end. And it always seems like he was always just 10 centimeters away from my punches during the fight. He was very fast. He was very creative with the way that he boxed. So you know you fought a great fight when you can even get your opponent to compliment how great you did in the ring. And Caleb Plant says for his next fight, he'd love to fight a unification bout against David Benavides to prove that he is the best boxer at 168 pounds. So we'll have to wait and see if Caleb Plant does get his wish of fighting against David Benavides because I want to see Plant get pushed in the ring. I want to see him be challenged. I want to see if he really is the real deal or if he's just able to beat up on opponents that are not at his level like a Fugubens who clearly should not have been in there against Caleb Plant. And for Plant, it was a, he got to fight in his hometown of Nashville, Tennessee, and he really put on a great performance. And the key for Plant in the fight against Fugubens was to work behind his jab in order to set up some of his more devastating punches like his uppercut and his left hook. 
Plant looked phenomenal in this fight, and if he does fight Benavidez next, that would be great for the division and great for Fox Premier Boxing Champions. Moving on from the boxing recaps and back into the UFC, this past Saturday we had UFC Fight Night Anderson vs. Blockowitz 2, and that was from the Santa Ana Star Center in Rio Rancho, New Mexico. And in the co-main event, we had Diego Sanchez taking on Michael Pereira. And Pereira is really one of the most exciting fighters in all of the UFC because of his unorthodox movements and explosive flips or twists that you don't usually see used in fighting. Yet Pereira is able to pull it off and really give his fans a great show. And against Diego Sanchez, he was disrespecting him so much that he would fight him while standing sideways and with his hands down because clearly he wasn't concerned with anything that Diego Sanchez could throw at him and he was outstriking him. He had 56 total strikes, 53 significant strikes, 20 to the head, 28 to the body, and he was 2 for 2 on his takedown attempts. And then looking at Diego Sanchez's numbers, he was 29 total strikes with 25 significant strikes with 6 to the head and 10 to the body. And he was 0 for 6 on his takedown attempts. But unfortunately for Pereira, he did get disqualified because he did land an illegal knee while Diego Sanchez's knees were on the ground. And that is illegal. Uh, according to the UFC rulebook, and it unfortunately cost Pereira a loss on his record, and Sanchez won by disqualification. But despite this, Pereira still looked great before the disqualification, looked like he can really land whatever strikes he wants, and I'd like to see Pereira challenged against a striker that can somewhat match, match him, and clearly Sanchez is a great competitor, but doesn't have the skill set or the boxing acumen to really challenge a guy like Pereira. So for his next fight, I'd love to see him step up in competition and see if those explosive movements that he does like to employ would work against a fighter that is better than Sanchez. And moving on from that co-main event, we had a main event light heavyweight fight between Jan Blokowicz, a Polish fighter, against Corey Anderson. And going into this fight, Corey Anderson was the favorite, but as I said in my pre-fight analysis uh, on last week's episode, I still thought that Blokowicz would have the speed advantage and just the overall skill level just a little better than Anderson, although they did fight previously and Anderson did win their first fight. But since that matchup, Blockowitz and Anderson have both improved a lot. And the reason that Anderson was the favorite going into this fight was because of his great performance against Johnny Walker. But in this fight, Blockowitz showed he had the speed advantage and landed a beautiful first round knockout with a beautiful counter right that put Corey Anderson down, followed by one hammer punch on the ground after Anderson had fell, and that was the end of the fight. And Blockowitz really made a statement that he is perhaps the next opponent to fight against John Jones for his title. 
and Blockowitz stated that the only fight he wanted to take next was a title shot. So if that fight does indeed happen, a title fight between Jan Blockowitz and John Jones, I still like John Jones in that matchup because I don't think, even think that Blockowitz is as good of a fighter as Dominic Reyes, the fighter that John Jones recently beat by controversial unanimous decision. And getting back to the fight between Corey Anderson and Jan Blockowitz, during the first round, I really thought that Blockowitz looked like the faster fighter, looked like the more powerful striker, and he landed a beautiful counter right that put Anderson down and that quickly ended the fight. And it showed me that Blockowitz is one of the best light heavyweights in the world, and if he doesn't get John Jones next, which he clearly wants, then a fighter like Thiago Santos or Dominic Reyes could be potential next opponents for Blockowitz. And John Jones was actually octagon side for the fight, and immediately after the knockout, Blockowitz was staring right at him, knowing that he wants that fight next. And Blockowitz really put on the performance that he needed to land a title shot. And I think with his recent great performances against Corey Anderson, Jacare Souza, and Luke Rockhold have really set up Blockowitz nicely for perhaps a title shot against John Jones in the future. Although he did lose to Thiago Santos. So perhaps before a, a matchup against John Jones, I'd like to see Blockowitz and Thiago Santos perhaps have another rematch, much like Corey Anderson and Blockowitz had their rematch this past Saturday. And if Blockowitz can get past Santos in their second fight, then the winner should get an automatic title shot. But the he light heavyweight division has suddenly become even more interesting with contenders like Dominic Reyes, Thiago Santos, and now Jan Blockowitz all wanting to get title shots against the great John Jones. Moving on from that UFC fight card, I'd like to preview UFC Fight Night Felder vs. Hooker, and that will be taking place February 22nd from the Spark Arena in Auckland, New Zealand. And in the main event, we have Paul Felder taking on Dan Hooker. Felder stands at 5'11 with a 70.5-inch reach, while Hooker stands 6 feet with a 75-inch reach. And looking at the odds for this fight, Paul Felder is a slight underdog at plus 120, while Dan Hooker is the favorite at minus 150. And looking at the records of these two fighters, Dan Hooker is 19-8 with 10 wins by knockout and 7 by submission. And in his last time out, Dan Hooker beat Al Iaquinta by unanimous decision. And before that, he beat James Vick by a KO punch in the first round. But before that, he lost to Edson Barbosa by TKO body punch, and that was in the third round. But since that loss to Barbosa, he does have two wins, as I said, against Vic and Al Iaquinta, and we'll be looking 
to make it a third against the talented Paul Felder. And looking at Paul Felder's record, they have actually fought some of the same opponents as Paul Felder has also fought James Vick and Edson Barbosa, just as Dan Hooker did. And Paul Felder beat James Vick by unanimous decision and Edson Barbosa by split decision. And that was back at UFC 242, which was in September. And I really did think that Barbosa did win that fight, but unfortunately he was on the wrong end of the decision. And Paul Felder got an important win against a quality fighter in Barbosa. And Dan Hooker, I don't even think, as is as good of a fighter as Edson Barbosa. And that was um, actually true because Edson Barbosa and Dan, Dan Hooker did fight. And Barbosa beat him uh, by TKO in the third round. So judging by that and how they have some of their similar opponents, even though Paul Felder is a slight underdog, I still like him to get the win here against Dan Hooker. Even though Dan Hooker loves to employ a lot of leg kicks and punches, I think Paul Felder's experience, his overall striking game, might just edge him uh, another decision win as it did in previous fights against Edson Barbosa and James Vick. Dan Hooker is actually the slightly more active striker in terms of UFC stats when compared to Paul Felder, but I like Felder because he can land a little more power when he throws his punches, and he was really able to hold his own against Barbosa, and I think he'll be able to do the same against Dan Hooker. And Paul Felder is known as a fighter that loves to get in a dirty fight and brawl sometimes. And this is seems like a bad matchup for Dan Hooker, who doesn't do that well when he's pressured a lot during fights. And we've seen this with opponents that Dan Hooker has fought before, like Jason Knight, Yair Rodriguez, and most recently Edson Barbosa. And while these fighters are not quite at the elite level of the 155-pound division, this is a very evenly matched fight that really could go either way. But I like Felder's experience, his overall ability to land punches with a little more power, and his overall ring activity to get the best of Dan Hooker. And I like Paul Felder to win by split decision. Now moving on from that fight card and back into boxing, we have perhaps the biggest fight all year coming up February 22nd. And of course, I'm talking about the heavyweight matchup, the rematch between Deontay Wilder, the Bronx Bomber, and Tyson Fury, the Gypsy King. But before I get to that fight, there's some pretty good fights in the third fight and then the co-main event. In the third fight, it's a title fight between Emmanuel Navarrete versus Gio Tupas Santissima. And it's 12 rounds for Navarrete's WBO Junior Featherweight title. And Navarrete is very long and tall for the division of Junior Featherweight. 
Navarrete is a Mexican fighter that really rose to prominence following his two wins over Isaac Dogbo, the once champion of the division. First, he beat Dogbo by unanimous decision, and then in their rematch, he got a TKO victory in the 12th round. And since those two big wins over Dogbo, he's followed that up with a TKO victory over Francisco de Vaca in the third round, and then a fourth round TKO victory over Juan Miguel Elorde, and then he followed that up with another impressive performance, a fourth round TKO victory over Francisco Horta, and that was his most recent fight, which was back on December 7th of 2019, where he retained his WBO Super Bantamweight title. And now defending his WBO Super Bantamweight title against Gio Santissima, he looked to have another impressive performance. And what I like about Navarrete is that he combines his physical attributes, which is being very tall and long for the division, with excellent boxing skill and power that you usually don't see of a man that's so slight in build. And of his 30 wins, 26 are by knockout, 4 by decision, and he has one career professional loss. So, Navrete is really one of the more impressive smaller fighters in all of boxing. And if he can get past Gio Santissima, then perhaps he could fight other fighters of a similar build and in the similar weight division, maybe against Inoue, the great Japanese fighter, maybe Tevin Farmer if he's not too big for him. But the future is very bright for Navarrete, and he is getting a really big stage here, fighting uh, the third fight on the card, preceding the huge heavyweight rematch. And he should take advantage of this great opportunity, and I like Navarrete to get this win against Santissima. I'm going to say a fifth round TKO knockout because that's really lately what Navarrete has been doing to all his opponents. So if you're a fight fan, make sure to tune in early for that card to see Emilio Navarrete do his thing, one of the really more impressive, thinner fighters in all of boxing. He really is slight in build and quite tall for the division, so it should be another fun night and uh, a great night of boxing. And then in the co-main event, we have a heavyweight uh, fight between Charles Martin and Gerald Washington, and it's 12 rounds, and it's the IVF heavyweight eliminator. Both Charles Martin and Gerald Washington have been in the ring against some of the best heavyweights in the world. For Gerald Washington, his record is 23-1 with 20 wins and 13 by knockout with three losses and one draw. His three career losses are to Adam Konaki, which he lost to by second round TKO, and then a loss to Jarrell Miller by eighth round round stoppage, and then he lost to Deontay Wilder by a fifth round TKO. So 
Gerald Washington has been in the ring against the fighter in the main event, Deontay Wilder. And while he is a decent heavyweight with some knockout power, often when he goes up in competition against opponents like a Konaki or a Gerald Miller or Deontay Wilder, he gets exposed and often knocked out. And I think the same could happen against Charles Martin, who is just a little better than Gerald Washington and has a little better ring fundamentals and has the speed advantage going into the fight. Uh, But Gerald Washington is coming off an impressive eighth round KO victory over Robert Hellenius, and that was back in July of 2019. And then looking at Charles Martin, professional record, we see he has 27 wins with 24 by knockout, two by decision, and he only has two career losses. And those career losses are also to Adam Konaki, and the other one is to Anthony Joshua. So both these fighters have fought the elite heavyweights in the division. Gerald Washington fought Deontay Wilder, and Charles Martin fought Anthony Joshua, who he lost to by second round KO. And I think for Charles Martin, this is a big fight for him because if he looks great against Gerald Washington, he could get opponents like a Dillian White, maybe a Joseph Parker, not heavyweights that are quite at the top level, but just below that to really see where Martin fits in in this current heavyweight picture. So I'm going to take Martin here to win by, let's say, late round knockout, ninth or 10th round knockout, because I think he has great knockout power, and it's in the stats. I mean, he has 27 wins and 24 by knockout. That is quite impressive, and I think that Gerald Washington is just a step below in terms of class and in terms of boxing skill. Now, moving on from that fight to the main event, the one we've all been waiting for since it was announced, the rematch between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. And if you haven't watched their first fight, make sure to go back and watch it before the rematch coming up this Saturday because their first fight was an absolute classic. Tyson Fury, for a majority of the fight, was outboxing Deontay Wilder. And at 6'9", the ability to move, stick and move, like Tyson Fury can, he really moves like a boxer that is much smaller than who what the size that he really is. And Tyson Fury, I thought, should have won the decision in their first fight. But for Deontay Wilder, he's got hands of steel. Perhaps the, the most powerful puncher in the history of boxing against perhaps the most skilled heavyweight boxer We've seen perhaps since Muhammad Ali, Tyson Fury is that level of boxing skill. And Deontay Wilder's power ended up saving him in their first fight as he was able to score two knockdowns that earned him a draw in this controversial decision. And in their second fight, I think for Deontay Wilder, he's got to look to be more active than he was 
against Tyson Fury the first time. And for Fury, he's really got to watch out for those power punches because at any time, Wilder can end the fight because he has power that is usually reserved for fighters with a larger build. But Deontay Wilder is so tall that he's able to get great leverage on his punches. And usually he fights opponents that are shorter than him. But Tyson Fury is actually a similar height to him. So he can't really use the physical advantages that he usually would have against most fighters against a guy like Tyson Fury. Deontay Wilder is coming off a KO victory over Luis Ortiz, a 7th round KO. And during this fight, during the first six rounds, Wilder was not really throwing much. He was just trying to get his timing down. And actually, Luis Ortiz was winning those rounds. But uh, this didn't really matter because towards the closing seconds of the seventh round, maybe Ortiz was relaxing a little bit because it was the end of the round. Wilder landed a beautiful punch that knocked Ortiz down and it was the end of the fight. And he got the right amount of leverage on it. And it was just a beautiful punch. And if you haven't seen that knockout, I recommend you check it out. And if Dante Wilder employs the same tactics against Tyson Fury, he's going to get exposed. Because he can't just be inactive for six rounds like he was against Ortiz and just expect to land that big punch to knock him out. Because Tyson Fury showed he has a great chin against Deontay Wilder able to get up from that massive knockdown in the 12th round and he's going to be ready for these punches and Tyson Fury is coming off a unanimous decision win over Otto Wallin and this fight was actually much tougher for Tyson Fury than anticipated and this was because he suffered a massive cut above his eye in the early rounds and this uh, cut actually resulted from a punch so if the fight did get stopped Tyson Fury would have lost by TKO because it was a legal blow that caused the cut but Tyson Fury was able to tough it out and able to beat Otto Wallin not so much with skill but with his will and determination as a fighter because despite his impaired vision and his tired body Tyson Fury was able to push through this and land enough punches to get the decision against a tough guy in Otto Wallin. And since this fight, Tyson Fury has actually made a change in his training. He's moved on from Ben Davidson and is now trained by Sugar Hill. And in Tyson Fury's own words, Sugar Hill is the closest trainer that we can get to Emmanuel Stewart, the very famous trainer who has trained some great heavyweights before his unfortunate passing. And with this change in training, I don't know if it's going to either be an advantage for Tyson Fury or a disadvantage because Ben Davidson, his previous trainer, really helped get Tyson Fury back in the ring after he had fallen off the wagon, doing drugs, drinking too much, becoming obese after he beat Klitschko to win the heavyweight title. And I think Tyson Fury's story of redemption, his ability to get back in the ring and fight the best of the best in the heavyweight division, is really why we love sports. We love these stories of guys getting second chances 
after they were perhaps depressed. And Tyson Fury has said himself that he deals with anxiety and depression. And now he knows about it. So he's working more consciously to be a better person, to be healthier mentally and also physically. And Tyson Fury said that in this fight, he's going to try to put more authority behind his punches and actually try to get the knockout against Wilder. And I don't think he will actually knock down Wilder. I'm going to predict here that Tyson Fury does get a decision win because I think his boxing skill is several levels above the skills of Deontay Wilder. But Wilder obviously does have incredible power that could end the fight at any moment and that's what really makes this fight so unpredictable but this is what we want in sports we want to see the best fight the best and this is what we're getting between Wilder and Tyson Fury with Anthony Joshua's recent troubles I'd say that Wilder and Fury are right now the two best heavyweights in the division And Tyson Fury really has that old school mentality of he can't call himself the best unless he beats the best. And he's going to get his opportunity once again February 22nd against Deontay Wilder. And if you're not aware, Tyson Fury comes from a long line of fighters. He's part of a fighting family and he's just the latest in this uh, string of boxers in his family. And right now he's the king, the gypsy king coming from a long line of gypsies and right now it's Tyson Fury's time he's got a great mouth on him really able to sell the fight as does Deontay Wilder which makes this fight even more exciting because of the out of the ring antics that have been going on in the pre-fight build-up and looking at the odds for this fight Deontay Wilder is a slight favorite at minus 130 while Tyson Fury checks in at even about plus 100 So I'm going to go with Tyson Fury here by decision, maybe a split decision, depending on how the judges see it. But this is really a fight you do not want to miss because Wilder and Fury put on one of the great heavyweight fights of all time. And uh, the rematch should really be no different. And while Fury should have got the decision in their first fight, I think he's going to make sure he gets the decision in their rematch. Because I don't see how Wilder can stick with him in terms of his Tyson Fury's head movement, his ring activity, his ability to pop out that jab and then land his power shots. And with the change in training, now Sugar Hill training him, maybe it's going to make Tyson Fury able to land punches with more authority. And that's going to put Wilder even more on the back foot than he was in their first fight. And I know Wilder has a massive right hand, but I just don't see the boxing fundamentals that are going to beat a guy like Fury for 12 rounds. I mean, for Wilder, he's really got to be hoping for that vicious right hand knockout that'll come at some point during the fight. But if Fury watches the tape and sees why he got knocked down in their first fight, these are mistakes that he should be able to avoid. He's just got to remain really focused because Wilder is a very dangerous fighter, obviously, and Tyson Fury is one of the best boxers, not only in the heavyweight division, but really in all of boxing. And uh, the way he moves really belies the 6'9 height that he has. 
And because of his overall ring movement, I think he's a more dynamic boxer than Deontay Wilder. But obviously Wilder carries the bigger punch, which makes this fight so enticing. So make sure to tune in coming up this weekend on Saturday, February 22nd. It's a fight that you are not going to want to miss. So make sure to tune into that. And the fight will be taking place from the MGM Grand Garden Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. And it'll be on pay-per-view on both Fox and on ESPN. And looking at the measurables for this fight, Deontay Wilder is 6'7 with an 83-inch reach and he's 34 years old. While Tyson Fury is six foot nine with an 85 inch reach and he's 31 years old. So a little younger than Deontay Wilder. And Tyson Fury has been boxing for longer, so he's learned those fundamentals before. And in a pre fight interview, Tyson Fury was saying that with his trainer Sugar Hill, they're really focused on the fundamentals of boxing. And getting back to those fundamentals. And if you ask me, Deontay Wilder really doesn't have correct fundamentals. He doesn't always have the best footwork. He doesn't always have the best defense. But of course, he can be bailed out because of his great power. So, this is a great fight. And tune in February 22nd. Thank you so much for listening to episode number 6 of Combat Bets on the Believe Network. I'm your host, Jason Barron. Thank you so much for listening. Check back next week. Kobe forever, Mamba forever. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.